And welcome back to another episode of the Zookeeper Stories podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Matthew Price. And uh, today I have another one of my co-workers at the San Diego Zoo. We have a zookeeper named Becky, and I'm going to let her introduce her and her last name because she has one of the coolest last names ever, especially for a zookeeper. Uh, so how's it going today, Becky? Uh, good. I'm doing well. Good. <laughs> my name is Becky Wolfer. Uh, those of you who don't know me, which is pretty much all of you that are probably listening. Um, and yes, zookeeper with the last name of Wolf. Yeah, that's uh, one of the best I, I have. The only thing would have been better if you were like Becky Bear or something. Becky Bear. Um, I do have a cousin with the last name of Fox. So oh, You got the whole Canid family covered then. Apparently. Uh, okay, well, let's get into introducing you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how long you've been a zookeeper, what your current role is at the San Diego Zoo. Um, and let's just start there before we get into all your backstory. Um, okay, so my current role here is I, I've been in San Diego for about a little over a year. been a keeper here in the Mesa team. So right now I'm primarily working um, with some of the carnivore species that we have at the zoo. So I work with polar bears two days a week um, with our lions and jags. But Wait, other... you work polar bears with lion and jags? Yeah, not the same that time. That is some talented <laughs> animal work right there. Yeah, no, I am a relief keeper, so I kind of bounce around a lot, um, which is fun, which is a little different for me. Because um, the previous institution I worked at, I worked, um, I was a primary of our lion and cheetah building, so I spent a lot of time there. So it's a little bit different role, um, bouncing around a little bit. Okay, well, let's get right into the first question that I usually ask people, and that is, how did you come to fall in love with animals? And at what point in your life did you decide you wanted to do this as a career? Every time I get asked that, it's hard for me to really pinpoint exactly. Um, I remember going to the zoo a lot as a kid. I grew up um, right outside of Philadelphia, so America's first zoo there, um, Philadelphia Zoo. And I remember going as a lot, going there a lot as a kid. And I remember graduating high school, and my mom took me and my two best friends there. One of the things I do remember from visits there is I remember they used to have llamas. They don't have them anymore. But I remember being right next to the llama enclosure. And I remember turning around to talk to somebody. And I remember the llama chewing on my hair. That's really a random story, but something I remember. Um, so <laughs> maybe that was what sparked my passion. I don't know. But um, Wait, so you like things chewing on your hair? Apparently. Do you like chewing on your own hair? I do not. Hmm. But. Okay. I don't know what that says, but... Uh... Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, you got chewed on by a llama, and then you were like, hey, I like animals. Yeah, apparently. Um, I did think I wanted to be a vet for a while. I feel like a lot of zookeepers start out that way. Quickly realized I was not going to get into vet school, and that the vets, in a lot of instances, don't seem to like, or the animals don't seem to like the vets, so... Um, that is true. Quickly changed gears... Knew I wanted to work with animals. Thought, hey, zookeeping seems like a really fun thing. And I remember going to the zoo while I was still in high school and trying to chat up some of the keepers as to, like, how did you get your job? And and I remember talking to them a little bit and kind of trying to figure out how I was going to make this come to fruition and actually make it work. Well, what, what, what kind of advice did they give you um, back then? Back then, it was obviously still kind of what we still tell everybody, you know, a lot of for the most part, you have to go to school, get a, a degree of some sort, and then get experience any way, shape, or form that you can. So um, those were kind of the two big things that I 
that, you know, I took into consideration and just be a hard worker. Um, so, yeah. So, so what did you do uh, to follow their advice? Um, so I chose a school um, that was going to have, it had a biology program. So I went to St. Joe's, which is a relatively small school outside, of, or it's in Philadelphia, about 15 minutes from my parents' house and about 15 minutes from the zoo. So I was able to kind of, I lived at home and I was able to go to school and then also do the zoo thing while I was in school. So I started as an intern there the summer after my junior year, 2001, the summer of 2001, um, I remember going in for my interview and I was like, who knows if I'm going to get this? I have no idea what I'm getting into. It was just for an education job. I say just, um, was it, uh, in their education department working with some animals, but also doing a lot of keeper chat type stuff and interpretation and animal biofacts stuff. So teaching people that came to the zoo about the animals so I remember doing my interview and I remember the day I got the call that I'd gotten and I remember like literally screaming and jumping up and down. <laughs> I was so excited. Um, and my very first day, I remember it was me and one other intern. It turned out that some of there were 70 of us, but wow. I was one of the earlier starters because I lived super close to there and I was able to start before school was officially over. And I remember going in and like having no idea what I was doing and um, holding my very first snake which I was terrified. Now I don't mind them, but they literally handed me a five foot long bull snake. They were like, we need you to hold this while we clean its enclosure. And I was like, sink or swim. Okay, here we go. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I vividly remember my first day. That was a really long time ago, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. Almost 16 years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I still, I mean, I still talk to my old supervisors from my very first job and kind of thank them for leading me on the path that I have gotten to where I am now. That's really awesome. Was there anyone early in your life, like before you got to the point of your first internship that kind of helped foster the love of animals or helped kind of like push you along the way or maybe, you know, supported you in some way? Um, I mean, my parents were always open to having animals in the house. Nothing too crazy, but like, you know, dog, we had dogs when I was growing up and um, hamsters and old lizards, fish, just, you know, some of the typical things you have at home. But um, allowing me to kind of learn the hands-on of taking care of stuff at home. But my parents have pretty much always supported me in doing what I wanted to do. And even to this day, my mom's like, I'm so glad you have a job that you love. Like, I see that every time we talk about it, every time they get to come visit me or see where I do at work, they are blown away with that I love it so much. Yeah. They're so happy that I found something that truly is my passion. So I would have to say my parents for That's sure. That's awesome. Um, so you had your internship at the Philly Zoo and when did you move over from the education side more to the, you know, direct zookeeping side of things? So, like I said, I started there in about, I remember May 7th, 2001. Wow. First day. And I started there as an intern in the education department. And then that winter I did an educate an internship in their children's zoo, which is still a lot of the education animals, but also some of the domestic livestock stuff mm -hmm. on exhibit stuff. Did that. The next summer, I got a part-time paying job in the education department. Did that for about two-ish years. And then it was 2004, so about a year after I graduated college, I was still doing that uh, part-time stuff and teaching classes and going out to programs uh, in schools and stuff like that. And basically, 
I applied for anything I thought I was remotely qualified for. I was like, do you want to pay me to take care of animals? Like just in Philly or like no, anywhere? anywhere. So I went on AZA and the website and just looked at any jobs that were, you know, kind of the low man on the totem pole, nothing too crazy experience wise. Because I had obviously some experience, but nothing right. technically true full-time zookeeping. Right. And uh, got an interview at the Dallas Zoo, went out, had my interview didn't get the position, but they kept my resume on file. And then I got a call two months later, three months later. And they were like, hey, we have an opening in the bird department, which I had applied for the mammal department. But they were like, we're desperate. We're going to have somebody going out on maternity leave and somebody out on back surgery. So we're going to be super short. It's technically temporary, but we can pretty much guarantee you by the time you finish the temporary position that there will be full time somewhere in the zoo, if not in the bird department. Um, so on a wing and a prayer, I said, sure, I'll move to Texas for a temporary job that could be <laughs> only four or five months long. Right, right, right. Um, I remember that phone call. And then I said, hey, mom, guess what? Guess what I'm doing? I'm moving to Texas. And my mom kind of freaked out for a while because um, at the same time, my younger brother was going into the Air Force. So we literally moved out of the house two weeks apart. So you just both deserted parents. Deserted mom, mom and no dad. Babies. Yep, pretty much. Um but again, my parents were always super supportive. So they were like, all right, well, this is what you want to do. They knew, uh, same as San Diego, Philly is union. So it was going to be really hard for me to get my foot in the door there right off the bat. Yep. Um, so I kind of had to be willing to move, which um, ended up being an 11-year stint in Dallas. So yeah, yeah that uh, <laughs> that's, that's kind of how my career went too early on is I just got kind of take a leap of faith and be like well I, I hope this works out and you know the part where you're, mo you're you can be mobile that is really helpful too obviously so the fact that you were able to go somewhere yeah. where there was actually a job you know um and it also your story also kind of restores my faith in that uh when they whenever you get that line as i'm sure we've all had from employers they say oh yeah but we'll keep your resume on file just in case that someone it actually there actually was a just it does, in case it scenario actually for works. you like i've it never does, it's not a lie all the time yeah say, i've never literally literally never heard that before so yes. that's that's awesome so and before i mean i should say before that i sent out so many resumes and got so many thanks for applying but uh postcards yeah, yeah, yeah. and letters and emails and phone calls and it's it's rough it's not easy to get into but so let me ask you this then uh if you had a bunch of you know no responses initially then um did you follow up at all with with people after that and be like hey you know is there anything specific that you want to see in the future from some some an application for me that says hey um you know i'm going to be more qualified next time make me a more attractive candidate or whatever or do you just kind of get like kind of canned responses yeah i got mostly canned responses and Looking back, though, I wish I had kind of, it, not pushed it per se, but kind of questioned. Um, I've learned the longer I've been in this field and obviously moved around, not a ton, but a little bit that, you know, sometimes it's, you get somewhere by sending out an email and saying, hey, you know, I, I know I didn't get this job, but what can I do to, like you said, make myself a better candidate? You know, what would you like to see on my resume that would potentially get me hired in the future? Um, and that kind of thing. Yeah, so. you know, it, it's kind of a squeaky wheel scenario. You know, a lot of people, and I, I'm guilty of this too, in that sometimes you, um, I don't want to say necessarily feel bad about bothering somebody for advice like that, but you feel like, you know, who am I? Like, they didn't even like really look at my resume. Like, why are they going to spend time investing in me? But those are really the people that, you know, end up 
finding something down the line or maybe they're they sticks in their head and say hey this person really actually wanted this and they'll think about you the next time around so yeah. um i definitely recommend doing that yeah for sure and especially if you get something that's not just the standard from the facility or the institution that's just the canned response if it's something from somebody specific that makes it a little bit easier to hey sir or madam like <laughs> At least you know a name rather than just the right. canned. And if you can, yeah, talk to somebody either over the phone or face-to-face or whatever it is, obviously that, you know, at least makes them think about you, yeah. uh, keep you in their mind or whatever. For so, sure. Okay, so first zoo at Dallas was with birds. What the heck did you work with, with in the bird department? Yeah, birds. It's something I thought I never wanted to work with yeah. and didn't really have any interest in. Um but again, I was pretty much willing to do whatever I needed to do to get in the field, um, which, you know, I tried to tell a lot of people that asked me like, oh, how did you get now that I'm working with a lot of, you know, big carnivores and stuff? How did how did you get to work with polar bears or how did you get to work with lions? And I'm like, I started with whatever they told me to take care of. So I initially started um, the bird department I was in. Bird department in Dallas is pretty large um, and it's Dallas is set up a little differently. It's two, com- well, not differently, but it's two completely different halves of the zoo. Um, it's actually split by a road and you go through a tunnel to get from side to side. So the bird department kind of has two halves that kind of work together sometimes, but are pretty independent of each other. So I worked in one half, um, there was four strings and I initially worked in um, what was the birdhouse? So a lot of the smaller birds, um, way to walk through uh, rainforest aviary, (laughs) that kind of thing. So some macaws, um, but yeah, like a lot of passerines, some other small parrots, that kind of stuff. Um, Started there. So that was cool because it was a huge variety. Probably, if I'm just guessing, easily 40 or 50 species of birds, which was a little intimidating, especially when it comes to like, figuring out diets and like yeah i was gonna say how long was that diet prep (laughs) um long because you had two food pans for pretty much everybody so you had a giant table and it was easily like i said 40 or 50 species so proud i mean every individual didn't have its own individual pan because some of them lived together but probably 50 or 60 food pans and it was just like okay (laughs) i can figure this out so that was probably other than learning the individual, you know, animals and that kind of thing, probably one of the trickiest things to be thrown into, especially having no minimal experience from Philly working with birds. And then after I'd been there a while, I, I was the relief there. Um, so I had a couple of double up days and then a couple of days when the, the primary was off, um, worked all the strings eventually. So I worked, we had a big birds of prey area, which I ended up working there as one of the primaries after a while. We had our flamingo pond, so a giant flock of flamingos with some other waterfowl, um, spoonbills, ibis, big uh, cassowaries and bigger birds like that, some cranes. So a nice variety of birds, hornbill, big hornbills, which ended up being some of my most favorite that I worked with besides Pride King vultures. We had a harpy eagle. She was pretty great. A lot of people say that that uh, don't necessarily work with birds full time. They love the hornbills. They're they're pretty. They have the one one in particular. I mean, they all had personality, but we had a a great hornbill. His name was Chiquita. Um, He was not paired up. And so he bonded really strongly with his keeper. So he would come in in the morning to check on him. And if Sometimes he would find baby snakes for you and he'd kill them and bring them to you. Um, so he basically treated most of us like his mate. Sure. He would, um, for those of you that don't know a lot about hornbills, um, the larger species, 
I don't know a ton about the smaller species of hornbill. I haven't really worked with them. I'm assuming they're pretty similar. Um, when they nest, they find a cavity in a tree and the male will seal the female inside the tree. And basically he's responsible for going to find food. He'll swallow it, bring it back to the nest and regurgitate it for her. So he opens her. up this so cavity he, every time he has to come back? No, he, they basically mud her in and leave a tiny slit big enough Just for him for to fit beak. his beak in. Wow. So, and then she'll go in there, lay the eggs, raise the chicks, and then she'll break out when they're old enough. So he would basically, in the morning, you'd bring him his food. He would swallow his favorite food items, and then he would regurgitate them to you. And you'd have to basically <laughs> pretend you were eating them and throwing them back up and give them back to him no, to no, make sure he ate them. It's okay. It's really so, for you. <laughs> so, yeah, and he would, you know, if you would have extra time, you could sit down on, like, the branches and, you know, in exhibit. He would, like, hop down, and he would sit next to you, put his head in your lap, and he liked to have his cask, the big... Yep. Uh, sound resonating organ on his head. He loved to have that scratch. He was 1000% full of personality. He was super cute. So he's one of my most favorite animals I've ever worked with. Even though you were kind of in love in your time at birds, you knew you probably knew you at some point you wanted to get back to the mammal side of things. So how was yeah. that? How did that transition go getting from birds back to mammals? Back to the fuzzies. Um, so when I started, my supervisor knew eventually, she's like, I know you want to work with mammals. But like I said, I learned a ton working in birds and it made me really appreciate them. A lot of people go to zoos and like, oh, it's just a bird. Oh, right. it's just a bird. And they're amazing. So I worked with birds for about three and a half years. And I basically waited until there was a position open that I was interested in in the mammal department. So I really, really enjoy big cats. And that's what I had wanted to work with. It's funny thinking back when I was talking to my mom, like, where do you want to work? Or where do you want to work with more specifically? And I was like, well... You know, big cats are really cool or maybe elephants or gorillas and like just naming off things. And she's like, so pretty much everything that wants to kill you if you get in with it. And I was like, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, yes. So I knew I wanted to try with uh, carnivores. So there uh, was an opening in our, called it Zoo North Mammals. It was tigers, otters, small primates, and lemurs. So I applied for that. And because I had been at the zoo for a while... It was a little bit easier for me to transition than obviously hiring somebody straight out of outside candidate um, and was able to transfer relatively easily, basically because my supervisor knew when I got hired that I hadn't necessarily wanted to work with birds. But I also put in the time and effort and didn't just abandon ship, I guess we can right. say, as right, soon right, as right. anything opened. So um, she was very supportive of me leaving when the time came for me to leave. That's awesome. So you got you got in over there on your first first shot. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yep. Um, I did. So then you spent uh, how much how much more time at Dallas there working with um, the cats, and were you with them the rest of the time? I was not at Dallas. So I worked in that department probably about the same amount of time. I was in birds three three and a half years. Um, started out um, working with the lemurs, which was cool because they have we have a mixed species exhibit there of I say mixed species. Um, a lot of people think that that means like all different kinds of animals, but it was all lemurs, but we had uh, black and white rough lemurs, brown collared lemurs, and ring-tailed lemurs all in the same exhibit. So a lot of different individuals, a lot of personality. So I kind of got my feet wet in mammals taking care of those guys. And then I was actually able to transfer working with the big cats pretty quickly because um, I had been at the zoo for a while. And when they needed somebody to start in that, uh, that uh, string, uh, they let me kind of bump over faster than really somebody who hadn't been at the zoo very long would have because I'd been at the zoo for, sure, at sure. that point, probably about four years by the time okay. I started working with them. 
so I worked with those guys, the tigers. Um, I worked with all the animals in that department, but um, those were kind of the ones I was the most excited to work with was the the, the tigers. So um, I worked, like I said, in that department about three and a half years. And then we were opening our Giants of the Savannah exhibit uh, in 2010. And they were looking for people within the zoo to obviously transfer because it was a whole new area of the zoo it was going to have um, lions, cheetahs, warthogs, red river hogs, giraffe, some other hoofstock and elephants. So they were going to obviously have to hire new staff in, but they are also looking for people to transfer. And the idea of working in an area from the ground up, so construction of the facility, getting the animals in, teaching them to shift to and from exhibit, all that kind of stuff really interested me because it's not something a lot of people get to be involved in from the ground up. So I basically uh, was... I felt kind of bad, but I was, I, I knew that they needed people to go anyway. So I was like, I'm really interested in seeing how this all works. And I was able to yeah. transfer um, at that time. So I started in that department actually a couple months before anything even came in or the buildings were done or anything like that was done. So probably the very end of 2009 or very beginning of 2010. Yeah, that's really cool to be able to start in a brand new building from day one with, you know, even with new animals. Uh, and I mean, that makes... Anytime you look or look on AZ and look for a new job that they're saying they're opening a new a new a new exhibit, that makes you a really attractive candidate because you've been there and done that, and a lot of their keepers probably haven't. And a lot, like you said, a lot of people don't get to do that in their entire career. Yeah. Um, just depending on where you're at in the in the zoo and when they're constructing things and and all those variables. So, well, that's awesome. So the next step in your career, San Diego, I assume. Yeah. Is there something that I'm missing in between Dallas and San Diego? Nope. No. No. That was, uh, I spent about five-ish years in the Savannah area. Um, and like I said a little bit earlier that I worked, prim I was the primary of our lion and cheetah building. Right. Because um, I'd been there the longest. I'd worked with those guys literally from the day they got to the zoo. Um, and everything from training them to figure out how to get on and off exhibit. We did two daily training sessions for the public. All that kind of keeper talk stuff. Um, which is something I highly recommend everybody get involved in because it's not something you can pretty much avoid in any way, shape, or form anymore. You will be doing keeper talks somewhere, somehow. I was terrified of talking in front of people. I actually find it easier to do keeper talks in front of people I don't know because I always tell myself there are going to be some people in the crowd, yes, that know a lot about animals. But for the most part, you're telling people stuff they have no idea. So they're going to be super fascinated and you're going to be fine. So I know a lot of people get really nervous about doing keeper talks and it was something I was really nervous about way back starting as an intern. And it's just something eventually you just get over having to do and you don't get nervous anymore. Yeah, because you have to remember <laughs> that most, I can't say all guests because I've definitely had hecklers too, but most of those guests are there listening to you because they want to be there listening to you and For they sure. respect your opinion and what you're telling them. And if they don't or they're not interested, they're just going to walk away anyway. They're going to yeah. be one of those people that just leave halfway through and leaving the ones that, that want to listen to what you're saying. So I definitely agree with that. Um, for new keepers or people wanting to be zookeepers, you know, practice a little bit of public speaking, talk in front of the mirror, just whatever, get your friends together. Yeah. I remember one, one job interview, I think it was for the Coyote Point Museum, which is now Curiodicy in San mm -hmm. Mateo, California. Um, I had to go, th I had to basically have an, an, a quote unquote animal and mm -hmm. like walk them through an entire keeper yep. talk with everything. And I did this really cheesy thing. Uh, I, I had my, my dog at the time had this stuffed parrot 
So I so I was like, okay, I'm gonna do parrots and rainforest. So I brought in this parrot uh, stuffed animal, and at the beginning, when they told me to start the talk or whatever, um, I told them, now close your eyes and imagine you're in this humid rainforest. And then I brought out a spray bottle and like misted the misted the, the interviewers <laughs> That's too. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it was funny. Uh, but yeah, uh, work on uh, work on your your uh, public speaking because it, it is really important, especially in today's do in today's zoos that uh, are much more geared towards education and interaction with the public. So yeah. that's a really good point. So sorry, yeah, total tangent. But yes, I was there for in that department for about five ish years, and then was kind of looking for a change. We had some reorg stuff go on in Dallas, nothing too serious, but I was just I knew I was ready for a change. Um, and randomly one day saw this job on AZA. Had no idea what the Mesa team was. Couldn't find it on a map of the Did zoo. Did it say Mesa team on the poster? Yeah. Oh, so wow. I had no idea what that meant. So um, luckily for me, I had a, co- a former coworker, good friend, um, who works in the elephant department here, one of the lead keepers. And I was like, hey, Robbie, what is this Mesa thing? Like, what, what does it entail? What animals is it? Would I even want to work there? And he... I was like, yeah, you absolutely should apply. I think you'll love it here. I mean, how can you go wrong at San Diego? Um, and applied and got the job. Yeah. It's funny how that, that works out sometimes. Uh, you really don't think that you have a shot. I know when I have interviewed there, I knew I blew at least one question and I like walked away from it. And it was just like, there's no way. And then you get that call and you're like, I'm working at the San Diego, San Diego freaking zoo, which you yeah. know, when you were a little kid, that's all you heard about yeah. was the San Diego Zoo For and sure. their pandas and everything. So big time life, uh, life changing step there. Um, yeah. well, um, we talked a little bit about what you do at the San Diego zoo, uh, with, uh, polar bears and lions and stuff. Is there anything about, would you, would you say that you're still more of like a kind of a big cat person versus like a bear person? And if so, is there anything that you could, uh, tell the audience about any big cat that you've worked with that they probably didn't know? Maybe some kind of obscure. Oh, geez. I know, I know I'm totally putting you on the spot. Um, and this is not well, on the agenda. Well, in, in terms of if I'm a big cat versus bear person, um, I'd never had the opportunity to work bears. Um, Dallas doesn't have bears. Uh, None? No, no bears? Wow. No. So they have, I worked uh, lions, cheetahs, tigers, mountain lions, um, and so I'd worked a lot of big cats, but not um, bears. So that was part of the reason I really was interested in the Mesa team job was, yes, there was carnivores and there was a lot of um, other species I'd had the opportunity to work with. But there was also a ton of stuff I had no experience working with. Uh, one of the things I had minimal experience with was hoofstock. So that was really interesting to me that the Mesa team has quite a diverse hoofstock um, collection. So uh, I really liked the Mesa team because, yes... I love big cats and they're for sure my passion, but I'd get to try working with bears and some other stock. And, you know, like I said, a variety of things that I'd never worked with. Uh, so yes, I probably am still a big cat person, but man, those polar bears are cute. They really are. They're really adorable. Um, and in terms of obscure facts. <laughs> something, it doesn't have to be that obscure, you know, just something that maybe like a, a zoo visitor wouldn't know about. Know uh, about well, them. most people don't realize how far away you can hear a lion's roar. I've heard anywhere from three to five miles it's pretty far. Um, I lived, when I first moved to San Diego, I lived about a mile from the zoo and I could hear our lion roar in the morning time when I would walk to work, um, which was kind of crazy cool. Um, I always tell people here in the city, you're never going to hear it as far away as you can in the wild because there's so much stuff to bounce off of. Um, People also really like to hear about jaguars and the fact that um, 
they don't realize they're really good swimmers. So when we have our big exhibit pool and we have fish in it, they're always like, they can catch those fish. And I'm like, yes, they're very good at catching those fish. And they're excellent swimmers and they eat uh, turtle shells. And if you, I always tell them to look up, uh, there's a video on YouTube. I'm sure there's multiple ones of the jaguars catching caiman crocodile. Yep. I think that's the coolest thing ever. I agree. I, t- I even use that in uh, the, the jaguar talk, uh, keeper talk. I'm like, go look up this thing where it jumps off the cliff and grabs the thing out of the water. Yeah. So, it's crazy. Uh, definitely do that if you haven't. Just Google like uh, jaguar attacks crocodile or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you'll find that. Well, let's, uh, uh, before we move on to the next section, um, what, what what would you say is maybe the favorite part of your job or maybe the most passionate, most the thing you're most passionate about, uh, about being a zookeeper? Um, one of the things I've been lucky in is um, having a really solid training background in terms of I've gotten to work with a lot of kind of well-known trainers. Um, I worked in Dallas. So we had a state fair. Every, we still have the state fair every year. There used to be, um, it was called Birds of the World. And if anybody knows Natural Encounters, NEI, um, Steve yep. Martin, amazing, amazing trainer. And so he would come every uh, fall for the state fair. He'd have a free flight bird show and he would hire interns from around the country, around the world. Um, obviously having a full-time job, I couldn't afford to just take off all that time because it was about six to eight weeks commitment. But he would let people from the zoo or places around um, come and volunteer on their days off. So I would spend usually my whole weekend, two days of, you know, don't you get enough animals on your right, right, right. during your week? Uh, but I got to spend from the time that they were setting up the show, running the show, helping run the show, taking down, you know, packing everything up um, from the ground to the top, uh, helping with that show for about, I think it did two or three seasons. Um, got to work with some amazing trainers, see how they train birds. Um, and then he actually got contracted to help the zoo when we opened Giants of the Savannah with all of our new animals, helping us shifting husbandry stuff for about three or four months. Wow, that's awesome. So got very spoiled in getting to work heavily with um, Steve and some of the people that aren't really there anymore um, that worked for his company, but um, some really, really great trainers and got a really, really good background. And now I, I love training. I think it's amazing some of the things you can get animals to cooperate and do and how much less stressful it is for animals when you can train them to do things. So, I mean, I got to help train one of our female lions and actually they two of them to voluntarily ultrasound while they were awake, you know, blood draws, you know, you name it. You can probably train most things if you can figure out a way to do it, that kind of stuff. So I'm really passionate about training and trying to figure out, you know, if it's a complicated issue, like how can we figure out how to do this? And then also getting to tell people about it. So the general public that comes to the zoo doesn't really know what we do other than feeding and picking up after animals. So to tell people, yeah, we have a polar bear that lets us voluntarily ultrasound or or other polar bear lets us draw blood from her voluntarily while she's awake. And the fact that people will just like get blown away by it. I mean, I'm still blown away by the fact that we can do it, but getting to share that with visitors that may just come to the zoo and think we don't do much with our animals and how much we actually do with our animals, I think is super cool. And also explaining that our training is, you know, basically so that they can participate in their own healthcare, not that they're trying to jump through hoops or, for sure. uh, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, or either that or training them to do natural behaviors that perhaps they hadn't known yeah. before. And um, the fact so, that yeah. it's all voluntary. So like the totally. fact that 
you know, I tell people, yeah, we can draw blood from her polar bear's foot, but she can 1000% walk away at any point if she doesn't want to participate. And the fact that she chooses to come over and let us do it, it's not fun. I don't like to be poked by needles, but the fact that we can do it, she doesn't react. She doesn't care. She gets treats for doing it. And then she goes about her day and doesn't think anything of it. But then the fact that maybe she's sick and we can figure out what's wrong with her. Um, I think that's so amazing. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And even if you're someone who isn't necessarily into training, I think that maybe it's worth exploring just in terms of how much easier it can make your day. You know, maybe you're not interested in the training aspect of it, but I bet you, I bet you definitely are sure in making your day a little bit easier. For so, sure. um, yeah, definitely. How about on the other side of things? Is there anything going on in this industry right now, uh, you know, just either in general or specifically that you don't really like about um, uh, being a zookeeper or the industry in general? Um think there's anything I super dislike it's just sometimes it can get a little monotonous um and it's frustrating if you have an animal with a behavioral issue that you're trying to fix and you can't fix it or if somebody's sick and you can't fix it when there's things that are kind of out of your control or you can't figure out what's going on that's kind of frustrating or just in general working with animals as I get older and you know kind of watching them decline and you know, everybody gets to that point where your favorite animal, you know, either passes away or gets so sick there, you know, they have to make that decision to euthanize or something like that, that, you know, everybody thinks it's sunshine and rainbows and, oh, you get to work with animals. And it's just like, yeah, I get to work with animals, but it's a lot harder than just coming to work and playing with animals. And that kind of side of it is, I haven't fortunately had to deal with it a ton, but I have had some instances that have been kind of heartbreaking and you know everybody goes through it but yeah. um yeah so. for sure i've had a few tough ones too um but um you know you want the long it, it, i think it gets easy not that it gets easier but you kind of learn how to deal you with learn it how to deal it. with it and like i don't know I, this is just how i some of the ways i choose to deal with there are still don't get me wrong there are still animals that that you know quote unquote get me or you know like yeah. that that like they're 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 my they're my buddies or whatever you yeah, know yeah. what i mean but for the most part i'm pretty good now about kind of separating those kinds of emotions um yeah. but you know that said there still are a few that i'm going to be really sad when when they eventually pass on for so. sure Yep, that's a tough one. Um, well, I do have some things that I don't necessarily like, and it kind of goes back to our discussion about moving around from zoos, which I think is really a good thing because it allows you to see lots of different ways from doing of doing things, getting different perspectives on how to take care of animals and manage animals. But uh, one of the really bad parts about moving around so much is that most zoos are seniority based. And what yep. that means <laughs> is that if you are one of the new people at the zoo, like ding, ding, Becky, ding. for example, I win. You get the worst days off, which are typically midweek, like Tuesday, Wednesday, or Wednesday, Thursday. Um, you also uh, are get get the worst choice of vacation time, right? That is <laughs> correct. You typically, for sure. typically you get the last choice. Uh, all the people that have been there for 30, 40 years, they yeah. get all the good holidays, and you're left with trying to figure out if I can have a week here or a week there or whatever. Mm -hmm. So especially now that you're experiencing that right now, Becky, um, how do you kind of handle that? Like socially, you know, you have friends that are here on they. Hey, it's Friday night. Let's go out, you know, and we got to be up at 6 a.m. Or sorry, <laughs> we have to be at work at 6 a.m. the next day. Uh, so how do you kind of navigate that and uh, still kind of stay sane yeah. and also have a social life outside of the zoo? It is for sure tricky. And like you said, coming here, that was a very hard thing to deal with was I went from being the most senior person in my department in Dallas and 
things are a little bit different too. Obviously here we do all seniority based, like you said, and basically the time off calendar goes from person to person to person. And by the time it got to me, I was like, well, geez, I can take maybe a week here. And that kind of looks like I can get that week off. But the good thing is too, is I knew like there was a week I needed off for, I'm going to be in my best friend's wedding. So I was like, hey guys, please don't take that weekend. And people were really good about it. But other than that, like I can't request all my time off to be like, please hold this day, please hold that day. So that was a little tricky. Um, but to be honest, it, it's not the worst thing. I can work around the vacation time. And in terms of friends going out super late, ironically, I hang out with mostly zoo people as a lot of zoo people tend to do. So we're all really good about, oh, you know, we don't try to plan anything super late. Um, it happens. I try to just know ahead of time. If you try to call me at six o'clock and tell me we're going out somewhere, I'm probably in my pajamas at home and I'm yep. probably not going to put on <laughs> real clothes and go anywhere. But um, yeah, no, I just, it doesn't really become an issue because a lot of the people I hang out with just, we're all on the same page of just, we know we've got to get up super early or we know that it's the end of your week and you're probably really tired. So we all kind of get it. Uh, so it's not really a big problem. Yeah. Uh, we all realize that we're going to be eating dinner at like four 30 or five. <laughs> we're going to, and we're going to be done with whatever activity it is by eight or nine most of the time. Because, Pretty much. Um, Early movies. Yep. Uh, sometimes going to concerts is a problem. It's like, Oh, well this show doesn't start till nine o'clock. Let's see. I'm going to get about four hours of sleep. Can I do that? Oh, I'm not on a carnivore string. Okay. I can yes. totally get through the day. <laughs> always take into account what you're doing the next day. Totally. Yeah. For sure. Um, I think the, another the, the one of the toughest part about it, uh, I guess not for me as much, be um, because I don't I haven't always gone home for holidays anyway. But especially for people that are really close to their family, like not ever not having Christmas off or yeah. uh, Thanksgiving or any of the main holidays that that families um, get together on can be tough for people. But you know, uh, if you work at a, at a in a place like San Diego, then oftentimes people want to come visit you. So my parents um, have already come more in the year. They've come twice in the year. Plus, I've been here. They visited me, I think, one or two times in the eleven years I was in Dallas. So <laughs> my parents have even come here for like a short weekend and mm. not even told me they were here before because they like San Diego so much now That's that I'm funny. here. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it, it helps living in an attractive. Uh, attractive location yeah. i guess i mean i kind of was able almost to not not so much for my mom but wean myself myself off of being home for holidays because when i lived in dallas obviously my parents weren't there my brother's in the air force and he was stationed in oklahoma city and in san antonio which are about the same distance about four hours north or south of dallas so i was able to yeah maybe not go home and see them but at least spend time with my brother and his family so I didn't see them every holiday, but it was a little bit easier. It's a little tricky now that I'm obviously all the way on the West Coast. It's not as easy to see family. So I haven't seen my niece and nephews in a year plus, which yeah. is hard. But the good thing is we do typically get more vacation time than someone in a regular like nine to five job. So it does make it a little easier to plan at least part of your vacation. Sometimes it's tough to use vacation. You're such valuable, valuable vacation time to go home for like a family trip or something. For sure. At least for me. Um, <laughs> but uh, but, you know, that the fact that we get more makes it a little bit easier. 
So, all right. So let's move on to everybody's favorite part, uh, usually not the guest's favorite part. Um, but uh, we'll start. We'll see if you have any funny or embarrassing stories. You know, something funny that an animal did, maybe something embarrassing that an animal or animal related that happened to you in front of a guest or coworker. You got any of those? I haven't really had anything embarrassing. I really legitimately tried to think of a good answer for this, and I cannot think of one. I'm sure I will get text messages from my people that I've worked with, my best <laughs> friends that know me. Um, I mean, working with big cats and working around male cats, I have been peed on before because I wasn't paying attention, but it's literally only happened one time. Funny things that animals have done when we got our lions into quarantine in Dallas, we got two males and three females. And I was one of the few people working with them while they were in quarantine. We were still trying to fill out the team. And I remember one morning I was sitting in morning meeting my supervisor like poked his head in the doorway and he like gave me the wagging finger like I need you to come here right now and I was like that's really weird it's first thing in the morning what is what does Keith want and he's like Johari one of the females got a boomer ball stuck on her face so she managed to wedge a tiny <laughs> oh little hole in the boomer ball onto her canine teeth and we walked over there and she literally has half a boomer ball she can't see where she's going she's walking around <laughs> so now we know to not give her um, any balls with holes in them because she will find a way to get and her teeth it's, in it. It's crazy because the hole is tiny. We don't know how she managed it, but she did. So they had to sedate her and cut it off of her. I was going to ask if it just so, worked the way itself. No. Well, they had to actually cut it, it off wow. of her. And yeah. So always keep in mind enrichment. Make sure it's safe. We thought it was fine. But that's the thing is with enrichment, like you, you can plan for every possible scenario you can think of, but the animals are always going to figure out something, you know? Yeah. And that, I think, I think that's part of the enrichment, honestly, yeah. maybe not getting a boomer ball stuck on your head, no. but at least letting them trying to figure out how to get into yeah. things. So. I remember working with, when I worked in our small primate area and I was training a new keeper and we were, sometimes we would draw crazy pictures on the ground inside their holding building. And we accidentally left the chalk in there <laughs> and the, we let the swamp monkeys in and they just like were covered in chalk. Like, bright blue faces they took the chalk and were just like pushing it all over the place just making a giant mess and i was like well i guess at least it's non-toxic chalk so now we remember to make sure to check everywhere to make sure we didn't leave anything in the stall so yeah there's things as i've come up that i'm like i always need to remember to do don't leave anything in the exhibits quadruple check like just make sure because you're gonna make a mistake you're gonna screw up eventually but you learn, and uh, and eventually, or uh, thankfully for me, it was something minor like chalk sticks, but they looked ridiculous covered in different I, colors. I think what you've really done is just found uh, brand new enrichment for monkeys. Is really like, well, that's what we said. We're like, well, they had fun drawing, yeah, so we did it on purpose. Good up. job, us. So. Yeah, we had a uh, different species and everything, but we had when I worked at the San Francisco Zoo, we had a, a thing that we did with. Um, the lions and I think it was with the polar bears too, where we would have the kids uh, in, in zoo camp kind of decorate boxes in enrichment form. Yeah. Like they would do like fluorescent colors on uh -huh. them. And then we would throw the, we would attach a rope to one end and then throw the box into the exhibit and have the kids kind of like play tug of war with oh, the, the lion or yeah, polar bear. But yeah. by the time, you know, after they finally got the box or whatever, uh, you would see the polar bears just like green, neon green and pink yeah. and blue and stuff. Punk rock polar bears. For sure. Um, so that's a lot of fun. Temper paints. All right. So we are going to wrap up here. But before we do that, Becky, I do want to allow you to get up on your soapbox if you like. If there's anything, you know, that you want to get off your chest or any words of advice, maybe you have something you want to plug. Maybe you're doing some fun 
research right now? I know you're doing some really fun stuff with the polar bears or, you know, just kind of anything you're excited about uh, that you maybe, maybe you want to share with the world. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, you just mentioned the polar bear stuff. We are doing a really cool research project with our one of our bears, Taki, because she is participating in a research project for USGS. And we're basically looking at what we try to tell people is, what does it take to be a polar bear? How much energy does it, is it going to take to be a polar bear um, in this day and age with the fact that the ice is disappearing pretty rapidly and bears are being forced to try to make a living on the land um, or with minimal ice. So she is a rock star. So we have gotten um, a giant, we call it the polar bear treadmill, it's a modified horse treadmill. And she is in the process of learning to um, eventually walk on it. Um, right now that we're at the stage where we're going to get baseline data. So she's got to lay in the treadmill. It's basically an enclosed box. She's going to lay in there for 10 minutes. We're going to take readings, see how much oxygen she uses, just resting, um, and go from there. And then she's going to have to walk on the treadmill for 10 minutes. And we're going to measure again, how much oxygen she uses. And she's also at that same time going to be wearing a collar and it's basically like a giant Fitbit. So we're going to look at how much I, I kind of how much energy she uses and right. kind of they're going to use all this data that she we're collecting from her and also getting um blood chemistry from her as well um i believe before and after don't quote me on that i don't remember exactly 100 when the blood draw is happening but i think it's before and after and basically all this data is going to be used to look at in the wild can polar bear what does it take to be a polar bear and and kind of that kind of information so it's really cool to be able to, yes, work in a zoo and, you know, work with a bear that doesn't really have any wants or needs. She kind of gets what she needs when she needs it kind of a thing to what's going on with polar bears in the wild and how can we help them and can we save them, um, which is really, really cool. So um, this is the first kind of project that I've been involved with in my career where it's directly going to impact wild animals, which is pretty cool. And in terms of advice, I would say other than just be persistent because if you want it bad enough, you will you will get in. It just don't lose heart because it is frustrating. And sometimes you just feel defeated because you just feel like nobody's ever going to choose me. I always tell people that ask me, you know, at our Keeper Talks, like we get the, well, how did you get your job? And I'm like, well, it's hard because you want to get experience to get a job, but you need experience to get the job. So you just kind of work in a vicious circle of I can't get either of the things. So do anything in turn, rehab, wild, anything with animals, get your hands dirty, get experience, you'll get there eventually. Um, it's sometimes hard to, to feel like you're getting anywhere, sometimes hard to feel like you're ever going to get a job, but you'll get there. Get involved once you get hired. Don't just go to work and do your job and go home. Try to do something else, even if it's, you know not directly in, you know, related to the, the zoo you're working at, just something with animals, you know, that you're passionate about, um, or AZAC, the Zookeeper Association, I'm really involved, I got really involved with um, the Animal Behavior Management Alliance, which is a group of trainers that have an annual conference. And the cool part about it is, um, it's not just zoo people, it's dog trainers and horse trainers and people that work at shelters. And so it's really cool to go to this conference every year and change their trade ideas with these people that 
may not directly work with anything you have any idea that you've never worked with. So I've never worked with horses or dogs in a shelter, but sometimes with their training totally can work for things that you're working with. So I love that conference because I can pick brains of people that, you know, are totally outside the realm of what I do every day, but totally have ideas that I can use in my everyday job. So find an organization that you really love and just work really hard. Yeah, that's that's really great advice. Um, you know, just just keep at it. I mean, I know I know that sounds really cliche, and, and I'm sure people are going to keep telling you that, but it's true. It it really is true. And say say yes to everything. You yes. know, especially early on, say yes to everything because you mm-hmm. never know what is going to lead to what. Like if Ber- if Becky, even though she didn't want to necessarily work with birds, if she didn't take that bird job, maybe she would not be at San Diego right now. So yeah, just yeah. just keep doing that. So. Um, we're going to wrap up now, but I do want to thank you all for tuning into episode 14 of the Zookeeper Stories podcast. And as of right now, I have no guests lined up for future shows. So if you guys out there enjoy the show and you want it to keep going, it's time for some other animal care professionals to step up and share their story. So please, uh, if you have any inclination at all to come on the show and share your story like Becky has and like uh, 12 other keepers have, um, please, please do contact me. You can find me on Twitter at mpricer or follow the show at Zookeeper Story. You can also email me at zookeeperstories at gmail.com and, um, you know, find me on Facebook. I'm, I'm, I'm around. So if you want to be on the show, please do uh, get, get with me. Um, but thank you guys again so much for listening and we'll, we'll be back at some point with another guest. Have a great day, everybody.